Hey there, Exponential. This is Peyton Jones, and I am here today with Christian, and you got to remind me how to pronounce your last name. I know everyone else is going to wonder. It's L-E-F-E-R, but it's capital L and capital F. Is it Lefer? That's perfect. Lefer. Hey! A little Francois. uh, I I wanted to put that on, but you know, Christian, I took French in high school, and all I can say is I hunger for cheese, and may the force be with you, and if you're French, you can't tell what in the heck I'm saying on either one. So even those two phrases have failed me. But uh, Christian, welcome on. Uh, For those of you tuning in, we are here to talk about uh, how to start a nonprofit. Now, funny enough, uh, Christian is the founder and CEO of Christian Nonprofit, or not Christian Nonprofit, your name is Christian, instantnonprofit.com. And what's really cool, Christian, is you and I spoke for maybe 45 minutes, about a month, five months, five weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, I literally was on the phone with uh, some planters out of my church plant in Long Beach, this like maybe in the last fortnight. And they were like, hey, man, do you got any leads on how to start this without spending a million bucks doing it? And you are the right guy to talk to because often planners feel like they can't really get a hand a handle on the money needed to start a nonprofit. They're not part-time lawyers. They need someone like you to do it for them. And, you know, so as we jump into this, I'm excited because I talk to planners all the time. I train planners. I coach planners. I can't do what you do. And so you're filling a real gap, I would say, in the process for planners. And uh, so thanks for coming on today, man. Thank you. And, you know, that's what we're here for. I really appreciate, you know, uh, having another opportunity to talk to some of the people that are involved with Exponential because, um, you know, the world world needs what you guys are doing. Um, and like what you do, our job is to make something that is complex and opaque um, simpler so that, you know, there's, there's a reason there, not just um, eliminating, you know, pain, but there's a mission going on here that you guys are focused on so that you can help people focus on their mission, focus on the people and the, the programs and the things that only they can do. And, and that's kind of what we're here for as well is to take all that bureaucratic stuff off your back and do it for you because you don't need to become an expert in something you're only going to do once. Hey, um, no church planner that I've met has ever been excited about, hey, I can't wait to go start a nonprofit. And it's funny because the kind of the kind of people that usually end up being really good church planners, they don't have the skill set to do what you do. Correct. And uh, right. so, it, man, I, I, I'm excited because I'm, I'm aware of all the different options out there um, and what each one offers. And you're kind of like, it's kind of like if you've ever Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know? It's not too soft. It's not too hard. It's just right. You kind of seem to be in the in the nexus of all these interconnecting threads. And, and literally, I remember saying to you on the call, I'm like, hey, man, we need to talk more. So let's get into it. But I want to hear a little bit about you first, Christian, uh, in regards to before there was instant nonprofit, um, there's a story. I mean, how did you get involved or get started in business in the nonprofit sector? What's your story? Yeah, I mean, before into nonprofit, there was only the vast darkness. And then um, I volunteered to uh, start a nonprofit with some friends. 
and said, you know, well, you, you know, you, you want to do this part and, and, and you're going to do that part. Let me take this application. Uh, how hard can it be? Now, I'm a people person. I'm a creative. And um, by nature, you know, I hate bureaucracy and paperwork and things like that. So it was ironic that I took that part. But uh, I was kind of curious about it. And, and so I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. How hard can that be? Became, you know, a famous question that was visited upon me by, by my friends. And uh, when I got the form letter, so I, so I did a good job on the application. I got the form letter back. Um, and uh, I called the number on this IRS form letter. Of course, the agent's not around uh, when I am. And, and if they called me back, I wasn't available. So, you know, I called the the IRS itself, front desk, uh, to try to reach someone else. And they said, well, you know, we, we appreciate your enthusiasm, but don't worry, this usually takes 10 to 12 months for approval. So, you know, you've got plenty of time. And I just thought that was absolutely outrageous because my sister's developmentally disabled. I've been involved with Special Olympics, therefore, since a little kid, before I even knew what a nonprofit was, right? We're all immersed in nonprofits with PTA and little leagues and all kinds of things like that. Uh, but as an adult going through this experience, I was morally outraged um, that people who want to do a good thing, it's way harder to do that than like start a used car lot or, you know, form the corporation for Enron or whatever. So uh, people that want to do good things should be able to do them without, you know, the brain numbing process. So I called 20 extensions north and south of that agent's phone, knowing that I would get somebody at their desk who might be in the, in the department. And I actually, that tactic worked. And I spoke with a bunch of IRS agents and I would just beg, plead and cajole them to give me the information, why this takes so long, why it's so difficult. What is the perfect, what would make their day, right? What would the perfect application look like? And I wrote all that stuff down and curated what I call the love letter to a bureaucrat, like the perfect application. And, uh, you know, if my uh, future wife was somehow at the time in, uh, the IRS somewhere, and I wanted to make her fall in love with me. Like, what would the application I sent her look like? And um, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great metaphor because you really are dealing with not only the problem of the church planter, but the problem of the IRS agent who's going through really painfully complex files. They have too much of this, not enough of that. And I wanted to know exactly what they needed. So we did come up with the Goldilocks package for them. And we started getting 30 and 60 day approvals right off the bat. So I said, well, maybe I'm on to something here. And uh, now I get to do good things for good people every single day. So I'm very blessed to wake up in the That's morning. That's good, man. Why? Hey, I appreciate it because I know like for me, I went through LegalZoom and then I started getting emails from a company. It's like, Hey man, don't do that as a church. And then I started talking to people and they're like, yeah, no, uh, legal zoom's not going to help you when it hits the fan. And when you and I talked, like I said, that Goldilocks at right in the middle, we were like, look, I do this for churches all day and I'm not going to break the bank when I do it. And that, again, that endeared me to you. I was like, this is rad. This dude isn't getting rich off planners because you can get rich off church planners. I mean, they got the big, you know, mama ship sometimes, but then there's guys like who I was in the planner. And I would say probably 90% of church planners out there that they don't have an endless supply of money. They haven't raised hundreds of thousands of dollars coming into it. They're bivocational. 
they're working the 90% of planners are bivocational. So the fact that you came in and you're like, Hey, I can do this. I feel your pain. I'm going to, I'm going to help take this off, but I'm also not going to get rich off you made you to me like, Hey, there's a dude I want to track with. But what's, what's kind of cool is straight out the gate, Christian, we have our first question. This never happens. So obviously you're hitting on something here and I want to just kind of uh, deviate from maybe the path we're going to go for a second because somebody has a clarifying question right away. And it is, are there differences between nonprofits and a 501c3? Is a 501c3 necessary to be a legal entity within the church? That might be good right away out the gate so that they don't have to hear that much later. That's their nagging question. And they're just wondering, what is a 501c3? Do I need one? Or can I just be a nonprofit as a church? Absolutely. And this is a super important distinction. And, uh, right, the, the genius of, of anyone in the world is making the complex simple. So hopefully I can at least um, make that very simple that the, I, the, the IRS is involved in the tax status of the organization. That is not the entity itself. So the process is we, in, in, our, in our process, we get you incorporated. Which, which is necessary first, that's done at the state level. And so we incorporate as a nonprofit uh, corporation. And okay, so break is, this down for me real quick, Christian. For someone coming in who's like, what does that mean? What's incorporated mean? Is this yeah. right now, this is like a rad crash course for all planners. Like I could see planners coming back to this, man, while we have you. What does it mean to incorporate with the state? Absolutely. So the states are in charge of creating the entity, right? Chartering the entity. If you go back to old England, like the king or queen would give you a charter for the Virginia Trading Corporation or something. You'd come to the, over here and, and do business. It's kind of the same thing. The state has the authority to create the entity itself. So you are a Georgia corporation or you are a Nevada corporation or whatever. Um, and with nonprofits, it's no different. It's just that there is a designation of nonprofit corporation in most states Virginia calls it a non-stock corporation, but what have you. In all 50 states, there's a designated type of corporation that is a non-stock or non-profit corporation, and they almost all call them non-profit corporation. That entity at that time would be intended to do non-profit activities, of course. However, the state doesn't have the authority to grant federal tax-exempt status to that entity. So that's why you create the entity first, you get an EIN, which is like the social security number, it's just an identifying number for the organization. That allows you to do banking, it kind of provides you that universal number. And then from there, you get the tax status, you apply for tax status of 501c3, Uh, it's tax exempt status. The reason they call it a 501c3 is because it's the IRC, the Internal Revenue Code section 501, subsection C3, right? So 501C3 is loosely used interchangeably as a nonprofit, a term for a nonprofit. But what you're really talking about is that you're getting the federal government to bestow a tax status on a state entity. And that tax status is that it does not pay federal taxes. um, And the donations to it are deductible from the income of the individual or corporation who provides the money. And those are the, that's the number one reason uh, usually that people want to incorporate a nonprofit is to be able to get those tax deductible donations. 
and then not be taxed. So if you raise a million dollars this year and you only spend half of it, you're not taxed on the other half being profit. It simply rolls over into the next year. That's so really good that's and very great. well put, brother. Very well Thank put. You. Very simple. That's the first time I've heard it explained so simply. So, uh, so the difference between a nonprofit and a 501c3 then um, is, and you might need to, to kind of walk me through because I, I got what you're saying, but the difference between a nonprofit and a 501c3 is the 501c3 is the federal and is nonprofit mean that you're uh, registered as such with the state? Well, a lot of these terms, the difference in, is in how we use them. Okay. So again, when somebody says, I just gave money to a nonprofit or there's this great nonprofit down the street, in many or most cases, they mean a tax-exempt, federally tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit. Um, but yes, the distinction is a non you can have a nonprofit and only have incorporated, filed articles of incorporation in your state. And many nonprofits give up. They never get to the point of filing tax status with the IRS because of the difficulty that we solve. Um, yeah. It's, However, it's a big pack. I mean, it's, you feel like you have to be a lawyer to fill that fatty out. I mean, it, it, it takes a long time. We actually had a lawyer who was on our board do it. And he said, I never want to do another one of those again. And that's from a lawyer. Right. <laughs> right. We have lawyers. So uh, some of the people who come to us, you mentioned LegalZoom. There's some good things that LegalZoom is good at. And uh, we don't build ourselves up by tearing down anyone else. But uh, the reviews speak for themselves. This is a complex process that an organization, a company like ours, that focuses in one area can stay up on how these applications are being treated, what happens if the IRS comes back with additional questions, and we have to go through a second round, kind of like when you apply for the mortgage, you just want that baby to sail through, you just want the money. But if the, uh, if the underwriter asks you questions, you have to give them you know, no more and no less than exactly what they need and be able to interpret those things. So whether it's an attorney or legal zoom, anyone who doesn't do this every day, all day, does not see the nuances and the changes and interpretations and guidelines that, that happen uh, at the IRS or even the state level. And, and we do. So um, lawyers often have clients that they do a multiplicity of services for, but the, the lawyer will come to us for the actual 501c3 application and filing process, incorporation, that, all that stuff. That's what Even I was going to say. Other services. That's what I was going to say is we basically had him do it so we wouldn't get in trouble. Because I have tried to fill out forms at the IRS before and I get letters back that are not pleasant. Um, when you're a serial planner, you start learning, don't try this at, at home, folks. This is a bad idea. You don't want to confuse the IRS. But more questions are coming in. Um, but how, why, why is it, oh, sorry about that buzzing in the background. I have someone putting drywall on to my house as we speak, which if you've been a part of this series, you just know there's been hammering and buzz saws and all that going. But, you know, hammer, 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 going to build a house for God. The good news is, Christian, there's progress. That's all I'm saying. So uh, this is part of a series, which is the Church Planners Toolkit. So it's a little bit fitting. But why is it so complicated to start a nonprofit? Well, there are, you know, probably 20, I mean, we count 26, 29 discrete processes or tasks inside starting a nonprofit. And you have to have particular language called the purpose and dissolution clause attached or appended to your articles of incorporation as one small example. 
Now, if you don't have those right, you'll get the articles of incorporation approved by that state. But when the IRS goes back and checks those articles much later in the process, they may deny or delay you because you didn't have the right uh, language in a completely separate previous process. So that's just an example of, you know, a number of things. Conflict of interest policy is required by the IRS. You have to have one. Uh, we like to also include a compensation policy. So what we've done is basically reverse engineered the ideal 501c3 setup. And we give that to our customers in three steps. You know, they sign up, they get a welcome email, they fill out a form. They actually don't look at a government application at all because of course we've all done those. You have to put your name in about seven different places. Your hand gets tired, right? So we've reduced this all to one form, one set of processes where in, in many cases, uh, depend, there are two different paths and I'll talk about that to 501c3, but we gather the information we need on the front end. And then we set this thing up so that you just get good news to your inbox and links to your shared cloud folder where all of your documents are going to sit. So no one's ever having to fish documents out of their email even. It's a very, very smooth process. And it's complicated because there are a number of other policies, bylaws, conflict of interest, like I said. Uh, you have to have a, a board meeting. Well, who the heck knows how to run a board meeting? But in our package, we absolutely provide everything so that the easier way to put it when, when we talk about what's included in our package is there's nothing that you need missing. Every, you have absolutely everything, including even training on how to run a board meeting in 30 minutes or less. When the average board meeting is a, a recent survey just re reiterated this, it's a painful three plus hours, right? And that's taking, you're not in the mission field when you're sitting there with your board, board members trying to figure out how to run a board meeting. So we have a press and play 10 minute video with a nine step matching agenda that matches the nine steps in the video. So you could literally hop on for your annual board meeting, get on there and get out of there in 20 minutes and have everyone thinking you're a pro and take care of all of the required steps of a board meeting and drop those pre-formatted board organizational minutes and resolutions that we provided you those are sitting in your folder as well. And you're on to doing the work that's really important, which is raising the money and getting the people to attend your services or participate in your programs, or if it's a ministry, hitting the streets and meeting the people and the need that they have versus messing around with a bunch of paperwork. That's really good, man. What are some of the primary advantages of filing for a 501c3 for a church or a ministry? Like if Absolutely. someone says, I don't really want to do it, and I do encounter those churches that are like, no, no, we just want to do the mission, man. We don't need all that. You know, we're just going to, people can check money and we'll redistribute it to the community. We don't want to be top heavy. And they think they're actually being smart. I just had this conversation with yet another planter and said, I don't think you want to do that. What are the primary advantages of filing for a 501c3? There are advantages. And here's where I'm actually going to, you know, give it straight. When it comes to a church per se, now this isn't ministry. And, you know, there's a, there's a gray line sometimes between a parachurch and a, and a ministry, right? Or a street church and a ministry type of organization. So actually, before I answer the question, let's just back up real quickly and explain. A church has a particular type of application, a particular path to 501c3 that is slightly different than a ministry. A ministry resembles 
most other charities in the process by which we go about forming those. Um, a church has an additional schedule. A church is required to use a full-length 501c3 application versus the abbreviated streamlined application. So there's a little bit of a cost differential there. And so what we do is when, when people, you know, call us or set up uh, a consult, which we can, we, we do a free consult, uh, we will walk through some questions about whether they really want to start a church per se, or whether they're starting a ministry, because there are certain advantages and disadvantages to each. Not super complicated, but um, there, there's a difference in the forms and the amount of work that's required, and therefore there's a difference in the cost. There's also a difference in the IRS filing fee. And so um, churches, so that's one distinction. Another distinction is churches don't technically have to file 501c3 to be tax exempt. Churches are tax exempt anyway, but most churches file for 501c3 because there is a level of legitimacy, there's a level of transparency, um, people know that if they give to a church that has 501c3, um, they are required to file a 990. Um, churches can opt not to file a 990, not to file a tax return. Um, but in the age of transparency that we're in and in the age of where, um, you know, you didn't used to hear about scandals, but now you hear about every scandal because as the, as the news, you know, folks said way back in the 60s, if it bleeds, it leads, right? We hear negative news. So there's an advantage to transparency that is inherent in a 501c3 because you are sharing at least your higher level numbers and filing your taxes, right? And just like a church will publish, a church will publish its budget to its members. And there's a reason for that. The members in order for them to give, they need to be able to trust that the finances are being handled properly. And yeah, you know, uh, it's funny you say that, Christian. Better. It's funny you say that. I, I remember um, I ran a, a church in uh, downtown Long Beach, which really was kind of more like a mission station. We would have ahead of everything from prostitutes to gang members to you name it. Um, one of guys is there, right? What's that? Sublime and, and the band members from Sublime. I'm telling you, it, it was a crazy little church plant. I remember once this guy, he he asked to talk to us afterwards. He handed us this handful of money. It was 15 grand. And he said, I I wow. figure I should give this to God. Um, now, he, <laughs> we never knew where this dude was at. We, we didn't know where he was getting his money from either. But he was like, hey, I, I you know, and he was he was being busted open by the gospel but um, it was really strange. And, you know, I've been in ministry for probably, how old am I now? Almost three decades. I started quite young. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, man, most people, when a big donation comes, and that's not big for the, <laughs> those of you planners, that, that's not big, but um, our little church gathered and gained a ton of attention from people, like in some cases from a few millionaires, who are like, there's stories of life changing here, Peyton. I don't want you to ever have to worry about the bottleneck of finances. That's the stupidest reason ever not to do the mission God wants you to do. And and I will tell you this: the chances of you ever seeing a big donation without a 501c3, I'd just tell you from experience, serial church planner are are zero to slim. Um, 
And, and so when someone really identifies, so when these guys are like, oh, we're all going to be about the mission and we're going to, I'm like, you understand, right? That if the mission's successful, it's going to gain attention from people who want to fund you like Priscilla and Aquila did, uh, Paul, like, like others did, Erastus and Ephesus. Paul had wealthy people funding him. Just know that. You can be as hardcore as mission, but that 501c3 really, really helps. Now, one of the questions that came in is linked to the next question I was going to ask, which is when is the right time for a church planner or ministry founder to launch their own entity and become a 501c3? And then I have a follow-up question that came from the audience on the back end of that. So I'll let you answer that first one. Sure. So there are probably three primary reasons or, or triggers, right, to, to establish an independent 501c3. Um, and, and this goes for churches and ministries. When the organization is first launched, right, you're, you're probably in a committee, which might just be, you know, you and a pastor. And it's like, okay, we want to move into this, you know, this community, this neighborhood, um, and we have somebody that's passionate about doing that at the, at the very, very beginning, you know, you're hitting the streets and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be in a storefront. I don't know if I'm going to be in an alley, you know, and when that preliminary work is going on, you don't want a lot to distract from that. And there is an opportunity for money to flow in and there isn't a lot of, you know, there's a lot of coordinated activities versus independent activities, but then there's that tipping point where you go, okay. Um, we have some stuff going on here. We're, we're, we're doing more activities that we need to be able to go get copies made. We, may be, we need to be able to financially operate um, to empower people to get some rent, uh, get some carpeting in that storefront or that back warehouse room or whatever. You know, somebody's donating us some space, but we need to put some sheetrock in there. And every time you have to get some funding, you're going back to the, the home church or back to the, the people that are helping kick off the church plant. Um, and it, it becomes a, an administrative burden just to get the money. Right. Um, so that's probably the primary reason or the primary trigger to start your 501c3. Uh, the, other, the other is, along with that, the activities that you're doing, right? When you are talking about renting a place or you're talking about making obligations, right, that sort of start to commit the organization to – that long-term, that longer-term um, commitment to the neighborhood and, and to where you're going to be operating, how you're going to be operating, um, you need to be able to represent the organization. And um, you want to be able to do things like sign contracts, even if it's a month-to-month. You want to be able to right. represent so you don't want to- the organization. Yeah, you don't want to meet with a landlord and say, ah, actually, I'm not the person to sign this. Right. You kind of need to be a big, the, the landlord's going to be like, hey, wait, wait a second, what am I dealing with here? And our follow-up question is, can, should people donate? I This is probably the most common question I ever get with planners. At what point can I start taking donations? If I haven't set up my 501c3 yet, um, and I'm not further down the road, when can donations, can I take the, if someone says to me and I say, oh, I'm in process, can I take that donation now? Yeah. <laughs> um, let me answer the third thing that I was mentioning about why you would want to start. And that is a big one because it's got to do with liability. Um, you're out there and you're, you are going to want to sign things. You are going to want to represent things and you want to do that on behalf of yourself uh, on behalf of the organization, not just yourself. Because even if you are doing some things independently of the home church, 
Um, anytime you represent, you should be representing for the organization because you're a team and the team needs to be able to rally around whatever is done on behalf of the organization versus the individual. So I, I did just want to say that sure. there, yeah. there's some no, thanks for that. protection, right? Um, they want people uh, who are going to give you things or let you use their facility or whatever. They want to know they're doing it on behalf of an organization, not just an individual. So that's the, that's the third part of the previous question. Um, as far as what was the, what was the question? You it was when asked? can so they start taking money? Absolutely. So um, taking money has to do with the date of incorporation. And I'll tell you why it's not the date of tax exempt status. The IRS's official policy, and this is a little known fact, but the IRS's official policy is to backdate the date of tax exempt status to the date of incorporation. And that's mm -hmm. why when we handle a 501c3 nonprofit formation for a customer, we immediately incorporate and get you the EIN so you can go open the bank account. Wow. Well, what okay. does the bank account you can't take in those tax deductible donations? Well, aha. We also provide in this corporate governance documents package that we give every customer what we call the memo on retroactive deductibility. And it's just our version of taking the IRS's language around them retroactively backdating the organization and making it look official on a memo so that you can, as the, as the church planter or the ministry founder, you can provide that to a donor in lieu of the IRS determination letter for 501 okay. And it says your donation today will be tax deductible. And here's why, according to this official IRS policy, that is all the permission most people need to cut a check. Okay. So it's from the date of incorporation. That's really good to know Absolutely. because I did not know that. So yeah, that way, that if is... it does take a while or even a number, just a few weeks to get the IRS approval, <clears throat> you can hit the ground running right on the spot. And often we have a lot of customers call us, and this is another reason that we can just serve this, this opportunity for people in a way that other companies can't, is we are very fast. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people call us and say, matter of fact, that's how oh, my first customer, a billionaire, somebody who had just sold their company, a strong Christian, uh, just had sold his company at Intel for over a billion dollars. Wow. And I was starting a little, there was a little movement to start a little Christian uh uh, you know, K through 12 school in a, in a community in Montana. And the, the donor said, I will match every dollar that you can raise, but you have to be able to admit kids this fall. And these people said, that's impossible. The IRS takes forever on this stuff. And it kind of came to me as a challenge. It was one of my first customers before I really had the company. Wow. And we did it and he was able, they, they got the kids uh, in and he was able to match all that money. And it was because we immediately hit the ground running, incorporated, got the EIN and then got the IRS approval um, by the time they did start the, the school. So uh, it's really important that, that people come to us often with a check sort of burning, you know, a hole in their pocket or a check that's not quite written yet because they need to be able to put the name of the organization on the check. And so uh, that's why getting that incorporation done immediately is, is crucial. Okay, so I wanna ask a question. We're getting um, questions in about ministry nonprofits instead of church. So that leads in to my next question, which are what are the differences between the 501c3 application path for a ministry versus for a church? Absolutely. 
So it's funny because the designation is exactly the same. Um, 501, the, the 501c3 is applicable exactly the same uh, in either case. Now there are slight, and I won't get into arcane legal distinctions, um, but this, this nation was founded on, you know, predicated primarily or, or prim primarily on uh, religious freedom. So churches occupy a special place in, in society in the opinions of Congress still and, and, and enshrined in law. And so there are seven markers that the IRS looks at to see there's actually they break out into 14, but there are seven primary markers that the IRS looks at to define a church. Now, what's funny is the IRS does not actually define a church. It just says a church will have a number of these markers. And that those are things like regular service times, a congregation of members, a certain doctrine, a certain way to become a member. Um, in some cases, a way to propagate people of that particular uh, faith and, and creed, right? To uh, accredit pastors or whatever. Mm. So you can look at the, an array of those things and say, okay, is, is this a church per se? Um, and are we, are we, do we meet some of those things? Or is this more of a ministry that is just serving and, and sharing the gospel, but we don't sit down once a week or we don't, you know, I mean, in the old days, things are changing so fast. You used to send in the church's advertised, you know, Sunday service advertisement from a newspaper. Well, newspapers don't really exist hardly anymore. And nobody publishes that way anymore. And the idea of service, hmm. especially... Uh, in the in the world of COVID, right? Things are changing dramatically, and already were before, um, you know, the, the 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 pandemic and everything. Yeah, so, and, and just real question, real quickly, um, what what Christian's referring to? Yeah, you used to have to run, like list your business. I remember that back twenty something right. years ago when I started a nonprofit. Well, it's a it's a five hundred one c three called New Breed Network. It's church planner training. Yada, yada. Back then it was just for me, but <laughs> I was the one getting trained. But um, but now it trains others. It's it's grown and expanded and we, we reproduce. But but all those years ago, that was bizarre to me that we and we had to like literally have it in newspaper for X amount of weeks. So that that's what he was referring to. I just want to in case someone was like, whoa, what was that about? And now I assume that would be done online in some kind of online posting now. They still have to well, do that. that. That requirement's just sort of faded away, right? Oh, you, interesting. You used, to, you used to use that as a way of sort of satisfying one of these markers. But now it's, you know, a, a web, maybe a screenshot of a web page or something. Okay. Uh, but the point is, what many ministry leaders find is that they say, okay, I want to file a church but they want to, um, they're not sure of their budget. They're not sure of the, uh, you know, whether they, they, they really, in some cases, don't have the, uh, about twice the money. It costs about $2,000 all in, including all government fees for us to start a church on our most basic package. It's about half that for a ministry. So if wow. it's not important to have the, protections that a church has and all the protections are is you don't have to file a 990 tax return which most churches do opt to um and you're, you're absolved of of proving you know that you meet a number of those seven markers with a, with a ministry um there's there's little 
there's little advantage to filing as a church per se. Although most I, churches I have that a, are traditional do file as churches because it does have more protection around how much invasion of privacy there is. And that is a legitimate concern. So if, if, if a church files for 501c3 as a church, they have more protection um, against looking into their books and affairs and things like that. There's more privacy protection than there is for other nonprofits. But the fact is, it's, it's kind of like tax audits. Um, yes, tax audits have been used politically here and there in the past for fairly high profile people, but the average nonprofit, the average church ministry, et cetera, no one is ever going to look at anything that the organization does not have to make public, such as a 990 tax filing. They're just okay. simply not targets. So that's that's part of my my question is um, you mentioned the 990. So anyone who's ever run a ministry knows those are a bear, right? Like uh, I tried doing one of those one year on my own, and that didn't go so well. So I was going to ask you, do you also do 990s for for ministries, or are you just startups? Yes. So we do. We have something called hands-free 501c3. So once a customer starts the 501c3, you've got to keep it going. You have to file your annual report. You may have to, churches churches do not have to register in most states for uh, fundraising. Ministries do, right? Uh, you do have to file a 990. Um, below $50,000, the 990 is fairly simple. It doesn't involve an accountant or anything, but you do have to verify a, a series of information. So we have something called hands-free 501c3 where we make it simple. We just do everything that you need to do um, and it's all included and it's very, very inexpensive, particularly if you're below that $50,000 per year mark. It's like, I forget what the price is actually. Uh, it's either three or $400 a year, but very, very uh, economical. And that oh, also that's awesome. That is affordable. I, I yeah. will tell you, we pay more than that. So I think you just got a new customer right here, pal. Definitely yeah, on my church yeah. plants going forward, but um, I right. need to introduce you to the New Breed Network for sure because you'd be like a dream come true. Sorry about that noise, man, but but honestly, for 990, you and me are going to talk. So, what are what are some other annual requirements to maintain good standards um, in corporate status? I know once you got it done, you just mentioned some of the things that you got to maintain. What would be some other things you got to do? Uh, there's something called the annual report. Uh, in, in a few states, it's every two years. Um, in most states, it's every year. And that's just sort of raising, you know, you have to pay a small fee and raise your hand basically and say, yes, our corporation is still alive. Because one thing that people do not do when they close down a business or they fail or they move or whatever, they generally don't go through the trouble of telling the state that they no longer choose to exist. So, since corporations generally are filed in what's called in perpetuity, right? It's like a baby's born, right? There has to be a death certificate for the organization. And so since people don't proactively do that, what the states do at the state level and the federal government does at the 501c3 level, if you do not file the annual report at the state level on a regular basis when you're required to, and if you do not file your 990 at the federal level, they will administratively dissolve the corporation or they will administratively revoke the 501c3 status. And that's why it's, we have a lot of our customers, it breaks our heart, but we have a lot of customers get back in touch with us 
they ignored emails or they just got busy or, or mom got sick or whatever, and they didn't maintain those filings. And then we have to go through the trouble and expense of doing a reinstatement for them. And we hope that that never happens, but it does. So that's why something like putting it on autopilot with hands-free is crucial. That's amazing. That's actually really cool. Like I said, I have a lawyer on my board who keep, he just, that's just what he does. But I mean, most people don't have a guy named Steve who's a lawyer (laughs) sitting on their board who just says, I'll do this because I love you. But it's a big ass. So that hands-free autopilot thing, like literally what's funny is that's for my network, but for churches, I'm not going to find that anywhere. It's like, it's like Daffy Duck when he's on vaudeville and he drinks that potion. He says, I can only do this trick one time. I can only use Steve for one organization, baby. And so for the rest, man, for a guy like me, uh, uh, planting churches, you know, uh, cereal planter, um, this is, this is, as Humphrey Bogart said, perhaps the beginnings of a beautiful friendship together. Casablanca, best movie ever made. But two questions come in from the audience here. One is, is there any benefit to a fiscal sponsorship agreement with this ending church until we can get the 501c3 finished. And in parentheses, they put, we're looking more at a ministry nonprofit rather than a church plant. Absolutely. Well, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of the fiscal sponsorship, right? So for the time that the church, the home church is able to, you know, provide you, what, what do they say? Time, talent, and treasure. And the people are coming from the home church and the money's coming well, then the home church can just write the checks. There's no need for a fiscal sponsorship. A fiscal sponsorship is for if you've incorporated as a separate entity and you have your own bank account and you got your EIN, you have your own bank account, and then the one organ is the home church is transferring money to be spent by the, the, the plant, that's where you would have the church, right, as the fiscal sponsor. Um, now your church might be nice. They might not be charging you. A lot of our customers come in, they're getting charged five to 10% for running those donations through their fiscal sponsor because there's an administrative burden to that. Whether or not that's the case, if you're going to go ahead and get incorporated and have a bank account, have your EIN number, which is your, like your social security number for the organization, why not, instead of having a fiscal sponsorship and having that bureaucratic administrative burden between you and the home church, why not just go ahead and get your 501c3 and stand the thing up and have the money come in directly to you and be able to spend and control and budget all of that money um, and and be responsible for it yourself. Um, There might be an answer to that question. And that's, that maybe that's something we can talk through on a consult call. And I'm happy to do that. And some of our, our top staff is, uh, you know, it's not just me, but, some other super qualified staff that we have go through these consults. But so those are the kinds of questions we answer. And often we make it so inexpensive and so easy to go, just go ahead and get your 501c3 that doing that thing once means that you'll never have that repeated administrative. It's amazing. It's so rad. I, I love this. I mean, this is, this is super good. Cause like I said, most church planners aren't nerds. Let's be honest. If you like this, you're a nerd. And I'm not saying you're definitely not a nerd, Christian. You're just good at it, right? Because you got to no, hit my, beers, man. You can't be a nerd, but you're just good at it. And But most planners, the, they're like they're guys like you. They don't want to do this. Yeah. No, I, I identify with the church planter personality. So we've all done Myers-Briggs and, and things like that. 
on the Colby, I'm a quick start. Like I'm a 10 on the quick start. Like my bus is out the driveway. I've got people on it. I don't know if we have lunch or gas, but we're going somewhere. In fact. Amen. But I must have the accountant following me in the car with the credit yes. card. So that when I'm about to run out of gas, we're pulling to a gas station. We're getting what we need. I'm um, so with you. They're social. They're creative. They love people. And sometimes they just forget about the details. Yeah. Well, the reason I got into this business is because I hate paperwork and bureaucracy. I hire people here completely opposite of me. If you're, if you're op polar opposite of me on the Myers-Briggs, you probably have a good chance at an interview at my company. Because <laughs> if you're going to handle files, you want to be like the opposite of right. me. Right. So because those guys aren't going to start this started. business. <laughs> right. The business started because I needed to solve a problem that I would hate to do myself and all the other people like me, right? So don't we do it. things that are so near our heart and, uh, and, and we, we experience a problem and that's what most good people do. That's what most church planners do. Most of our founders do is they've experienced a problem. Maybe it was a real challenge in, in childhood. They're a foster child. Uh, they want to help foster kids. They're a church planter. They saw needs in their community not met, or they saw uh, houses of worship that they just didn't feel connected to. And they're like, I need somebody for something for people like me. So we all, so that's the beautiful thing is we all answer the call um, based on the journey that we've had in our lives. And so, yeah, I'm the, like, we'd be, a well, you're not a nerd for sure. That. So that, that doesn't shock me at all. So, yeah. you know, what's encouraging Christian is, um, and Brooks who is like, you know, the, the wizard of Oz behind the curtain, pulling all the gears and levers for this. Um, he'll, he'll tell you, we don't normally get this flood of questions in, on the show. I mean, this thing's lighting up. So we, we still have 15 minutes uh, until we have to close a call, but we got another couple questions. So be encouraged, man. This is d definitely resonating with people. Um, so one of the questions in the chat is, so if you're a church and fall under an umbrella 501c3 for a faith group or denomination, do you need to file the 990 until you get your own 501c3? So they want to know, does a 990 need to happen as I'm waiting for all the 5013C3 status? No, then the 990, uh, typically you just need to do that if, you're own, if you are a 501C3, if you filed for 501C3. So if you were to do it yourself or even your accountant went to file a 990, they need to be able to marry that up to an organization that is on their roles as a, as a tax-exempt nonprofit. Um, so generally, like, say you were under, were you mentioning being under a fiscal sponsor for that? Yeah, example? they said, so if you fall under an umbrella, like, like 501c3, so like with the Southern Baptists, right? If you plant with them, you have to set up your EIN with the state, like I did in California. Um, but then they were like, hey, um, here's an old 1950s document. It was like the umbrella document, you know, that right. wasn't ours, but we were a Southern Baptist church. So they're saying, do you need to file the 990 until you get your own 501c3? So, or maybe it's their sending church, right? In your case, it was a stone tablet, I think, right? It was like chiseled on there. Um, so I actually don't know, right? Because we don't do fiscal sponsorships. I, 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 I could have an idea, but I, I'd rather uh, I'd rather go look it up. And that's that's what we would do in the case where I don't know something or one of our staff runs into an unusual situation. We don't represent anything we're not 100% sure of, so I would go look that up. But basically, since we don't 
uh, help people obtain fiscal sponsorship or manage, um, you know, manage organizations under a fiscal sponsorship. We help you get your own 501c3. Um, I don't know the answer to that. That's okay. But I hey, look, man. It's rapid fire questions because these things are pouring in. Let, I got another one. Okay. I, I have like I'll four the, more. I'll keep the answers short. And let me just say, anyone has a question that we are unable to answer or unable to get to today, email me at success at instantnonprofit.com and we'll answer it for you. We'll go look it up. Success at instantprofit.com. Success at instantnonprofit.com. <laughs> Instant profit, instant nonprofit. Instant Sorry, profit, man. I need that. <laughs> I need that service. Yes, indeed. All right. So, <laughs> uh, does the re- this is a really good question. I already know the answer, but um, does the registration as a church or a ministry impact the use of a of a housing allowance for staff? So, yes, that is correct. If you have a pastor housing allowance, uh, churches are allowed to handle that in a, in a different way than, than a, a regular ministry. So pa- uh, pastor allowances are actually pretty well defined by the IRS. And yes, that is handled differently. So there are advantages to filing as a church. There are also, also those restrictions that you need to fit into um, to show that you have the markings of a church. It's very simple. And you know, if, if those justifications are there, then we absolutely would file you as a church. Do it all the time. Very cool. And then another one is, will you give us prices for 501c3 and incorporation, or will we need to set up a consult to find out? And however you decide to go on this answer, because I know everybody's situation is different, perhaps what they could, perhaps what might be helpful is a range for those listening today. Absolutely. The reason we don't uh, just roll out pricing per se is, there is a, there, so there's not only do you need to do the full 1023 for churches, hospitals, and schools versus just ministries and nonprofits, but every state's corp- incorporation filing fee is slightly different. But the, the hard and fast numbers are, we've got three levels of package, express, enterprise, and ultimate. Um, the express is for not non-churches, non-schools, not, not hospitals. And you also have to have the projection for a budget in the first three years. So that would be if you were starting today, 2020, 21, and 22, that you would be projecting those to be lower than $50,000 or you're just uncertain. I mean, yes, you could raise more, but there's no penalty. If you file under the express package, the short form 1023, then, um, then you raise a million dollars the next year. You don't have to go back and do anything. There's no penalty. You just change the version of the 990 you would be filing under. But for organizations that project to be above 50,000 in any of those first three tax years, or being a church, hospital, or school, you would use the full length, what would they call the long form 1023. So the express package is 677 plus government filing fees, which average 75 to $100 for incorporation, and 283 for the IRS filing fee. The enterprise is 1297 plus government fees, which again, same thing with incorporation, uh, averages about 75 to 100 dollars. And the IRS filing fee is 618. And um, then the ultimate package is about 3,000 dollars, and that comes with a couple of years of that year-over-year compliance. 
uh, some additional training and set up. We will help operationalize and set up a fundraising plan and things like that. I'm, I'm shaking my guy, head because that is competitive. Listen, I am a guy who knows these things. I'm a serial church planner. I shake my head because the ultimate package being three grand is phenomenal. And Absolutely. We, yeah. One of your, uh, one of your, uh, uh, conference goers from the last go around when we did the webinar right off the bat. They're like, we want the webinar, or I'm sorry, we want the ultimate package because they needed some help uh, setting up some operational uh, guidelines for the organization. And they wanted to have that consulting for uh, constructing some of the fundraising pipeline. And so they got the, you know, three hours, I believe that of, of high level consulting and also, they wanted to just put the first two years of compliance on autopilot, and so we did that for them. But some are on a budget and want to go express and then, you know, piecemeal the other things later, and, and we're here to do whatever serves best. And they add so, those later? Like, let's say someone said, hey, I just need the quick thing, but like, I'll, you know, as money comes in, I'll come back and I'll upgrade. Is that even a potential? They can, of course, the ultimate package, because it's a bundle, is much, is, is really economical it's such a, a deal, deal man it is it's they crazy we you're not a- paying me anything to say this i just deal with planners non-stop <laughs> and when we talked like five six weeks ago i was like dang dude that you know that like i felt like i had to tell you like hey you know like that's super and you're like yep i do and you know yeah, here's a- CPA that's very very versed in our yeah. top cpa here is very versed in nonprofits, particularly because there are certain things that you you want to yeah. have a CPA that specializes. We have a nonprofit uh, attorney on contract. She only does nonprofits. I have literally not met another nonprofit attorney that does not do real estate or divorce and stick in your nonprofit in, in between right. there sometimes. Uh, so it's very important that you have uh, a capacity and a depth in this field to take advantage of some of the things that are pretty arcane. So uh, that's why so- we offer Similar question, can a ministry that is a 501c3, uh, and they're just thinking a ministry status, transition to a church status a couple of years down the road? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, we've done some, some, some can be tough, right? Uh, transitioning, we transitioned a 62-year-old organization with 21 board members from a 501c6 chamber of commerce type organization to a 501c3. Very, very difficult. And they were turned down by several lawyers uh, and, and we did it because they wanted to do it. And uh, we were too uh, naive not to know that we shouldn't, but we got it done. Um, well, let's let's say like, let's a say a minute. Sorry, transitioning to a, from a ministry to a church, absolutely. Um, and that would be on a case by case, right? We'd find out a little bit more about that case and then carefully fit that in. And that's where a consulting package would, would come into play versus, you know, a sort of pre-packaged 501c3 package. Yeah, I could see something like uh, someone who has a teaching ministry mm-hmm. where perhaps for whatever reason it starts, they start to create a gathering around that. And they say, you know what, maybe this ought to be a church. I know when we started training planners, we gathered so many planners locally that one of our board members said, Hey, are you sure we shouldn't just like start doing this thing as a church? Like we're birthing all these churches. And, um, and that was, you know, it was something we considered, but, but never actually did. So yeah, um, sometimes there's achieving, achieving the goal in a way that is not 
uh, obvious is sometimes the best way to go. People call us with these sometimes complex, well, I have a, I have a for-profit I want to convert into a nonprofit. That's not going to happen. Um, so we say, well, why not just start the nonprofit uh, alongside of the for-profit? And then one does exempt activities, one does for-profit activities, and you can easily just have both alongside. And they say, oh, I thought that was a conflict, or I thought I couldn't do that. Same thing with a church. If you have a successful ministry and you want to start a church, chances are we're going to advise you to simply start the church right alongside the ministry and do it in a way that just doesn't add to your administrative burden. Now, one of the questions, this will be our last question today. Christian, I want to thank you so much. This has been Instant Nonprofit. Com, instantnonprofit.com. And, you know, Christian is one of our sponsors. So that's why we have him here on our toolkit. We do actually carefully choose our sponsors so that they are people we feel are going to help you in ministry. Um, there are people we, we don't allow to be sponsors because we're like, we're just trying to get rich off the, uh, the planner and we're not down with that. But um, somebody asked, they're starting a nonprofit and they're weighing through what's the benefit of a religious nonprofit versus a non-religious nonprofit. There is really no distinction. Nonprofits, there are a number of exempt purposes defined by the IRS that allow you to be granted tax-exempt status. Religious, scientific, educational, uh, commu- healing the community, there are a number of, of others. Um, education, uh, religious versus Something else, there's really no distinction in the eyes of, of the IRS for the application process. So the, the real distinction, again, is a church versus a ministry or other type of nonprofit. But any of those reasons is just as valid as the other for starting a nonprofit. And I did want to mention before we hop off here, because I know this hour has just flown by, but we have a great free gift for anyone who's listening and is going, okay, I think I might want to start a nonprofit. I might want to kick off this ministry or I'm planting a church, but I have some things that I want to understand better. I want to know how to name it properly. I want to know how, what's the requirements for the board of directors and how do I meet those? Uh, How do I come up with a beautiful one sentence mission statement that's so compelling people will just open their wallet? Well, all of that is covered in our boot camp. So if you just go to instantnonprofit.com, and you go to training on the upper right tab, you can go to free bootcamp and sign up for an absolutely free email bootcamp. And we answer, there's 10 lessons in there, they're awesome. Even better than that, we have an upgraded video bootcamp and um, you get all kinds of downloads, you get access into a training portal for all of the whopping cost of seven bucks. So we basically just keep, you know, it pays to keep the servers on. but We'll deliver that to you so you'll have your choice of the free boot camp or you can get a video boot camp for a $7 upgrade and people just love it and it covers literally everything that you need to know and do to start a nonprofit way more successfully than winging it. So uh, get, take the free gift, take the $7 you know, deal. Uh, I don't know how long we'll have it up there for seven bucks, but people have questions. That'll answer so many questions that they have. And then please go to our website, instantnonprofit.com and book a consult. There's a little button for that too. And uh, we want to help you. And, and whenever you're ready, whatever stage you're in, we're here to serve. So, Well, on behalf of all of our listeners and church planners everywhere, I want to thank you, Christian, for starting instantnonprofit.com and for sponsoring and for sharing us, letting us pick your brain today. This, this, 
this show was fired, dude. People are definitely, uh, they're, they're one. It, like I said, I, I encounter this all the time. But also on behalf of Exponential, I would like to thank our audience for joining us today and for just firing these awesome questions at Christian. So again, that's instantnonprofit.com. This has been Peyton Jones. I'm the host here of the Exponential Frontlines. Daniel Yang will be rejoining me in the new year again, where we'll start our uh, regular topics back up again. Some of those innovative uh, things that we definitely have our eyes on that are going out there in the church planner world, especially in the face of COVID-19. And we'll see you next week on Frontlines, same bat time, same bat station. Thanks again.